Hello, everybody. Welcome to Football Outsiders Live every weekday, 1 p.m. Eastern Time. I'm your host for today, Aaron Schatz. Thank you for joining us on Twitch and YouTube and Twitter and Facebook and wherever else you find us. Uh, thanks for joining the stream. Thursdays are our weekly preview where we talk about this weekend's games. Uh, Mike Tanier joins me as always. Don't forget to subscribe to the show so you know when all of our shows are happening. Don't forget to ask questions. We love your live questions during the show. And here today to talk about what is kind of, believe it or not, for playoff odds, the biggest game of the week, Anthony Reinhardt from the Orange and Brown Report, a well-known name on analytics Twitter, uh, I first became aware of Anthony's work when he created the uh, XFL scraper package. <laughs> yeah. Which allowed, remember, which allowed you to uh, to do analysis on XFL data. And since then, he's become a really big part of analytics Twitter, I think really well known for his really great data visualizations, none of which we're going to share with you on this show. <laughs> but you should absolutely follow him on Twitter, at Reinherdler, to see all his really cool data visualizations. So it is actually, believe it or not, we'll start by talking about Thursday Night Football. And even though it seems like a lesser game because so many players are injured, this is the most important game of the week in our playoff odds report. Denver makes the playoffs in 49% of Sims where they win, but only 22% where they lose. And Cleveland, 62% when they win, 32% when they lose. So we've got two three-and-three three teams here that are going at it, trying to get back to the win column. Cleveland's lost two straight. Denver's lost three straight. They're trying to stay in the playoff race. Uh, and by DVOA, this is kind of no contest. Cleveland is seventh so far this year, and Denver is 22nd. But, but, oh my God, like who is still playing in this game? <laughs> Anthony, we have an injury report from Cleveland yet. Uh, you know, I know details are kind of coming out, but it, it sounds to me like Jarvis would be, uh, Jarvis Landry would be more likely to play than Odell Beckham from what I'm hearing. But, um, you know, that's that's all kind of rumors at this point. We'll, we probably won't know for sure what receivers the Browns are going to have until, you know, 7 o'clock when the, the official inactives come out. But, um, you know, they're going to be missing two running backs. They'll have uh, Dearness Johnson to kind of fill in there as uh, the primary running back probably. Um, they, they have a rookie from uh, UCLA, um, blanking on his name. Uh, Is this Williams' kid? Um, uh, Demetric Felton. That's it. Uh, he he plays a lot out of the slot, but he played running back at UCLA, so he may get some some run a little bit. He's only played two backfield snaps in the regular season this year, but played like twenty in the preseason. So um, he he could be in the mix there at the skill positions, but um, they very well could be without probably four of their top skill position players uh, going into this one, as well as obviously uh, Baker Mayfield. So uh, a lot of question marks for the Browns' offense. What about the time? And the Broncos, the yes, the tackles, of course, yeah. The I mean, they, right. They'll they'll have Blake Hance, I believe, starting today for uh, Jack Conklin, but Jedrick Wills is going to try to give it a go. He was has been unable to finish the right. four games that he was act or three games that he was active for this year, and then missed the last two. So 
Um, he's been in and out. I would not be surprised at all if he didn't finish the game. And James Hudson, their fourth round draft pick from this year, had to fill in for him uh, again. So uh, it, it's very, I mean, there's Browns probably have four starters that they can definitely trust. will will absolutely be out there for a full yeah. game today. And three um, of them are Wyatt Teller. Yeah. <laughs> and don't forget, Denver has a ton of injuries too, right? We know Jerry Judy is out. We know KJ Hamler is done for the year. Yes. Teddy Bridgewater was questionable with a foot injury, although it looks like he will play. Noah Fant is questionable. Linebacker problems. Jay Molnar94 says, is Jonah Williams the only healthy tackle in the AFC North? I think the guy from Pittsburgh got injured, so I think he is the only healthy tackle in the AFC North right now. That sounds right. The only healthy tackle worth like discussing in the world. Because yeah. <laughs> Ronnie Stanley is now out for the yeah. year for Baltimore. It's kind of incredible that Baltimore has played so well without Ronnie Stanley since last year they managed to get away without Ronnie Stanley by having Orlando Brown, and this year they don't have Orlando Brown because they traded him to Kansas City, and they're still playing well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this game, I think what's interesting is both defenses, besides the injuries, which obviously, you know, have changed a lot. Uh, and if you're wondering about that noise, Mike is having some yard work done outside his house. Tree <laughs> work. Tree work. I will, I will mute quietly until it's my turn to speak. Um, the, uh, the Cleveland de- defense has been a little bit of a disappointment, not compared to our projections, because they've actually been better than our projections. But I think compared to what a lot of people thought they were going to be going into this year, but they're 13th in DVOA. Denver's defense has been an even bigger disappointment. They're only 24th because they've given up so much in the last three games. Uh, So I'm curious, Anthony, what your thoughts are on the Cleveland defense, what you thought we were getting going into this year versus what you've gotten, especially from the new players, Clowney and John Johnson and Troy Hill. Yeah, I mean, I would say that the player of the new acquisitions that they've gotten this year, and they, they also had a lot of rookies uh, or younger guys this year that they're adding to the defense that got into the mix. Grant Delpit right. was their third-round draft pick last year, who's been playing uh, a little bit here, and also um, Greg Newsom, uh, their first-round draft pick, who's been playing pretty much every snap when he's healthy at corner. Uh, also, uh, JOK, Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa. Uh, he just got put on the IR, so don't expect There's to see another him injury, yep. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, I, I would say Clowney out of the three new free agent acquisitions has been, uh, the best he's been performing pretty well. Um, getting a lot of pressure. I think he's had one or two sacks, uh, already this year. So, um, uh, as far as rushing the passer, you know, Miles Garrett has been elite and continues to be, uh, Tack McKinley, another player they added to kind of add depth off the edge has been a solid player as well. But uh, really, with the defense, the main story has been the disappointment in the, the secondary. Uh, John Johnson's performed well below, uh, I think, what was expected. And um, one of the things that, that Jake Burns, another uh, fellow at the OBR that, that I write with, uh, one thing he noticed was that the Browns are playing uh, John Johnson a lot as like their deep free safety, uh, something that he didn't do at a, high, at a very high rate for the Rams. He kind of moved all over the field, and the Browns just – I think haven't struck that balance enough yet where they're getting um, kind of all the pieces of their secondary, which are newer guys um, to the scheme, at, at least uh, getting in the right spots where they feel comfortable making plays. Right. But uh, efficiency wise, the Browns have really struggled on third and fourth downs. Uh, I think looking at EPA before this, uh, I think the, the Browns defense is fifth in, in EPA per play against uh, on first and second down, but like 25th 
on third and fourth downs. So uh, they, they really have been playing well on early downs. It's just kind of these, these late downs, they'd be getting gashed for big plays. So yeah, DVOA um, is similar. 31st in defensive DVOA on third, third fourth downs. Mm. And you saw that a lot against the Chargers. The Chargers were able to yes. play a lot of fourth downs against them in addition to right. third. And Herbert is a, you know, a late down savant at this point yeah. in his career. So, you know, we'll see if that keeps up. But, you know, I, I wasn't totally surprised to see them get beat up on uh, some of those fourth downs there against him. Right. I mean, the good news, at least for them, is that particularly on defense, you know, we know that third downs are a little bit more variable than first and second down. So, you know, it's more likely that their third down performance comes up to meet their first and second down performance. Yeah, they also have been bringing a ton of pressure. ESPN's charting of pressure has them actually number one in pressure rate this year. Uh, mm-hmm. Denver is thirtieth in pressure rate on offense, so there's going to be a lot of pressure on Teddy Bridgewater in this game. Yeah, um, they have been giving up a lot of yards to wide receiver ones, though. Their ninety-nine yards per game allowed leads the league, so I don't know if this might be a good big Cortland Sutton day. I don't know. There, are they a, are they a cornerback? T- Denzel Ward tends to take the best guy, or are they more of a side by side? And 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 it's different cornerbacks taking the best guy. I've observed that Ward is typically lined up over the best receiver, but the Browns play a little more zone, I think, than a lot of teams. So it ends up that the the best receiver is just up against whoever's zone he runs into. And you know, some of some of those plays are really the you know the best receiver for the team breaks out for a huge gain. I know I know Tyreek Hill had a couple plays where he was able to to kind of get loose on the the deep safeties there, and then um, I don't know he considered the number one receiver for the Chargers, but Mike Williams also had some really big plays against yeah. them and. Uh, in, in week five, and Brandon Cooks also had, I think, had a pretty big game uh, when they played the Texans in week two. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, as far as, you know, being able to kind of match up with guys, they do tend to, to, to play a lot of zones so guys can you know, kind of find their matchups if, if the uh, coaches are calling it right on the offensive side. You got to figure, though, you're, this is a team with a number one, but no number two, no number three, no number four. So yeah. you can adjust things on this. You don't have to worry. Who do we have to cover deep in this? Well, game? I mean, Patrick Patrick is the pretty clear number two at this yeah. point. He's kind of an underrated guy. Right. He's always had good advanced stats. Right. Um, I don't know who's – I don't. I guess Kendall Hinton is now three. Yeah. So, I mean, they use a lot of, they use a lot of the two tight ends. But, again, fans hurt. Albert O's been hurt in and out. So a lot of, you mentioned the pressure rate, a lot of their offense is Teddy Bridgewater in a collapsing pocket, looking for the short underneath throw. Whether that's well, a those, court yeah. One of the surprising things about Denver is how deep they've thrown when he's not under pressure. Right. Uh, we did um, average depth of target for the article that Derek Klassen wrote today about Derek Carr. Mm-hmm. And it was surprising that Derek Carr is fourth in the league in average depth of target by the NFL GSIS numbers. Yeah. Hmm. Teddy Bridgewater is Fifth, <laughs> Teddy Bridgewater. Fifth. He, he was firing. He was firing deep to all of them earlier on. He fires deep to Cortland a lot in the Steelers game when the, the the game fell apart. At the end of the game, he just said YOLO and started throwing deep to Cortland, and they came back. They almost came back and won the game. So he's got that in there. The trick is the pressure. Does he have an opportunity, and is he just looking at a double covered Cortland side? Um. So how much as a fan? you know, someone who watches this team every week, but watches with an analytical eye. Do you feel like, do you feel like the Browns are underperforming or do you feel like this has still been a, this has been a really good team, but they've just, you know, lost close games and had a tough schedule. 
where, where do you feel about the Browns going forward compared to where you, you know, how you felt about them six weeks? Yeah. And I think, you know, kind of getting back to the point I was making earlier about how the defense has struggled on late downs, the offense has kind of been in the same boat. They're, uh, have kind of an equal split in terms of their, uh, success rate on early downs versus late downs. So, um, I'm, I'm hoping to chalk a little bit of the inconsistent performance up to just this late down variance kind of not going their way. Um, you know, as far as, you know, the way they've been playing, uh, making decisions on fourth downs, I've been really encouraged by that. Um, you know, I think that, that something that I'm hoping will improve over the course of the year and that we saw last year is the Browns passed a lot more uh, as the season wore on last year. I'm hoping to see them maybe open up the, the playbook, I guess, without their star running backs, but without their quarterback either. Um, but I would say the most important thing has been the play of, of Baker Mayfield that kind of, you know, drives the whole boat here, right? Um, he, he played excellent against Kansas City in week one. It looked like it was going to be a continuation of the strong second half of the season he had last year. Um, but he, he sustained that, that shoulder injury in the Texans game in week two and kind of looked a little sheepish in the second half of that game and then um, seemed to have some trouble not just making the right throws, but also making the decisions. Uh, possibly, you know, his shoulder is causing him to lose a little bit of confidence in whether he can make some of these throws. Um, so I, I think that I, you know, all in, considering that that Mayfield is injured, I feel more pessimistic about the Browns in the short term uh, than I did at the beginning of the season. But in terms of like where they go after this season, I feel a lot more pessimistic than I did uh, to start the season. I just, it, it's hard to imagine, you know, the, the variety of possibilities that could come up as far as where the Browns go at quarterback after this, whether Mayfield comes back in a few weeks on this injury that it needs surgery and he's probably not going to get a lot better. I mean, he could kind of limp through the last, you know, eight games or whatever if he comes back uh, pretty soon here. But um, I, I would kind of question whether that's the best move for the team in the, the long term. Uh, you know, whether or not it gets them close to the playoffs in the short term is uh, another question. I think that brings up the next thing I wanted to ask you about. Um, and, you know, Mike can share his thoughts on this, too, because I know we've talked about it on past shows. Are you on team give Baker an extension or are you on team let's go a different direction? Yeah. And this is something that I feel like I've been talking about constantly for the last year. And I really haven't moved my priors too much uh on this, you know, I feel like, you know, when I first, someone first asked me the question, if I supported a, a Baker extension was right before he had his hot streak going into week seven last year. And I said, I'm still a little bit on the fence. You know, I think if, I think if the Browns, um, you know, made him an offer, I think they're a really smart front office and I would make sense of it as it comes. Um, but if they let him go, that, that wouldn't be the worst thing in the world either. Uh, I kind of held that all the way through the end of uh, the playoffs last year where, you know, it was, you know, among a lot of Browns fans, it was kind of a fever pitch where they were thinking, you know, we want to get in before the deals go to Josh yeah. Allen and Lamar Jackson. Um, and, and I kind of felt like, you know, they, they can afford to pay a little extra if he has another elite year or at least yeah. another half of an elite year and uh, give him that extension then. But, um, you know, right now I would say, if he plays the rest of the season and somehow returns to the form that he had in the second half of last year, I would be okay with it. But anything outside of him catching fire as soon as he comes back, um, I, I would be on the side of, you know, letting him play out. He's got his fifth year in 2022. 
letting him play that out, but using that time to kind of solidify the, uh, the quarterback position going forward, whether that's, you know, trying to trade him with some draft picks for a more established quarterback or using him to move up in the draft um, to, to get a rookie quarterback. But I, I think if he plays at an average level or doesn't play at all, then I would, I would be pretty, pretty much against an extension for him. I think he's, he's only proven he's a, a competent NFL quarterback, not necessarily the kind of elite quarterback that you want to suck up 15 or 20% of your cap with. Yeah. The thing is that that's such uncharted territory that you described. Like, yeah, we'll go into fifth year on the big option. And if we're not completely satisfied, we will make look a trade. Well, if you're not completely satisfied, no one's going to want the trade. That's a weird, that's a weird yeah. needle thread. But, and that's where I thought that, you know, Sam Darnold might be at the end of his, uh, yeah. you know, contract, but the Panthers gave him some money and gave the Jets something in return for him. So that kind of changed my mood about what the potential quarterback market is for teams that don't have anybody right now and are desperate to just put somebody out there. You know, I, I wouldn't prefer the Browns go through it, but a team could a team could make it work with him. Have you seen the Jets though? The Browns <laughs> is another almost guaranteed another reboot at that level. What I wish exists, and that's when we start talking about this. What the Browns analytic minded team should be able to discover is some sort of contract structure that makes sense for a Baker Mayfield, where it's not Josh Allen out into the yonder stratosphere type of thing, that it's something smaller, maybe it's something more front-loaded, similar to the Garoppolo shape, where it's like right now, right here, we're paying you. Uh, but also it has to be shaped because of the way the cap is the next couple of years. So that complicated. But like All the money's in 2023 when everybody gets their money back. Yeah. They need something like that because we are stuck in the middle ground. That's what you're kind of saying. We're stuck in the middle ground here. Yeah, there really isn't a class. I think Eric, you wrote about this at, at PFF earlier this year that I, I found really interesting. There's really not a, like a middle class contract for quarterbacks. They're either on rookie deals or they're backups or you're signing them to this, these huge deals that where you ties up your franchise for years. Yeah, it looked like Garoppolo was sort of going to do that. Now, if you look at it in retrospect, it looks like that because it looks smaller now. Mm -hmm. uh, and Tannehill was kind of in that range a little bit, but there's just there's not like a clear here's what it is, and it's never given to uh, a guy coming off the rookie deal. It's always mm -hmm. given to a Tannehill or or somebody like that. Where well, here's your second chance opportunity contract, uh, which is different from saying, oh, you're the keys to the franchise. Here we go. Yeah. Joey Sucks says, is Baker a bad quarterback, as in 17th best or below? And the answer is no, but that's where part of the complication comes in. I can tell you that for this year so far, he's 14th in DYAR. He's 15th in DVOA. He gets a little bit of a bump from opponents because they've played a difficult schedule of past defenses. But that's about where he was last year. The problem is with Baker Mayfield, you're running into the Jared Goff discussion now, which yeah. is how much is Mayfield helped by Stefanski's scheme versus what Mayfield can do on his own. And I think that there's a general feeling around the league that Mayfield may be more in that golf category, not as bad as golf, but helped by the scheme uh, wouldn't necessarily be as successful with another team. Uh, you know, we talk about the difference between the win with and win because quarterbacks that he's a win with quarterback and not even the best of the win with quarterbacks. You know, mm -hmm. he's not he's not playing where Kirk Cousins is playing, for example. Right. So, I mean, I think it's there's a little bit of a problem here where what you have is a um, a statistically oriented organization with a player where the statistics are not really telling the whole story. Right. Yep. 
or can't tell the story because it's hard. Oh, we're going to siphon out this injury and that injury and this problem yeah. and that problem. Yeah, there's no there's no accounting for all. Right, you're trying to account for scheme. You also try to account for injuries. This was sort of the like, let's find out what Baker really is here. And now it's, well, let's find out what Baker really is when his non-throwing shoulder is messed up all year. It means you're not really finding out what Baker really is. And that's kind of been the story of his career where, you know, he played in 2018 and people said at the beginning of 2018, well, you know, it's, it's Hugh Jackson's thing and he's, he's not a good coach. And we do know that. So, you know, <laughs> give him a little bit there, but yeah. then the next year, you know, he's learning a new scheme with Freddie kitchens and, and people say, well, you know, Freddie kitchens, we know he's not good. He got canned after the first year. Then, you know, he, he comes in and struggles at the beginning of 2020 because he's learning Stefanski's new scheme. So people give him a little breathe, bit of breathing room there. And then, you know, it, it turns out that, you know, he, he gets the scheme by week seven and, and has an excellent finish to the year, which is great. But, you know, we can't just throw out all this stuff where, you know, every time he, he comes into, you know, some adversity, some of it worse than others, like his shoulder injury for the, the most part of this year. But, um, you know, if, if we throw out all this information that we have about him, what we're going to come away with is the situation pretty much has to be perfect for him to perform really well. Which you know, the, you you can get guys that that do pretty well without the situation being perfect, and it it makes me wonder how attainable it might be to get a player like that, and whether you're better off just plugging in guys like that once a year, and then you know if you do that for ten years, eventually you get a guy who lasts for yeah. uh, you know ten or fifteen years, like you know Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers or somebody like that. The tough part about this debate is what do you replace him with? Yep. Because for example, this year's batch of rookie quarterbacks does not look good yep. and the Browns will not be picking at the top of the draft. Right. Right. So then you have to do that hypothetical thing. Are you going to go, we're going to go grab some other teams, Darnold. Well, how is that an advantage? It's an advantage probably economically, for example, we're going to look for another, you just talked about, Hey, the guy who's in ideal conditions can win. I'm in Philly. We just, we got rid of that guy. Uh, he's the Colts problem now. So, so, so that's it. And, and that's, that's why, you know, we, we come to this, like, it, there's uncertainty. It seems like that $120 million contract is a terrible idea, and plan B doesn't exist. Yeah. And, I mean, I, mean, I think the, the perfect scenario, because the Browns roster really is set up to win right now, would be to trade for somebody who's, you know, aging out of their contract, like mm -hmm. Rodgers, or somebody who maybe wants a change of scenery, like Russell Wilson. So, I mean, ideally, those are the two targets, I would say, that, that you know, I'd be over the moon if they could get either of those guys, even if they had to give up a ton to get them. Yeah, Joey sucks on the chat, just invoked Matt Ryan. So, <laughs> yeah. That, and I don't volunteer to be the one to tell Ciara that they're moving to Cleveland. <laughs> I'm going to Cleveland. I'm not yeah. volunteering for that. Uh, Jay Molnar 94 asks, are the Browns going to cut Odell Beckham and Landry after this year? I think that's a really, really interesting question. I foresee that that one of them does not, I'm not sure which one. Their contracts are, you know, take up a pretty similar amount of the cap, but I'm not sure which one's easier to get out of, to be honest with you. It um, looks you like know, I, over the cap that Beckham is no has no guaranteed salary for 2022 and 2023. Okay. Yeah. So they, they have that exits out of both of those contracts after this year. I, I, I do know that. Um, I think the, the thing is with the Browns current receiving core, they have um, some depth as long as you have a really elite receiver to play behind them. The, the other guys they have are Rashard Higgins, Donovan Peoples-Jones, who's a second year player who's shown some promise. 
um, Demetric Felton, and um, the Hig- what's the other kid's name? Higgins. Uh, uh, Richard Higgins, and okay. who am I forgetting? I'm forgetting one of them. I know. Yeah, um, we both are. Schwartz. Uh, Schwartz. Yes, Schwartz, Anthony Schwartz, the, the rookie right. that they took in the, the third round this year, who's, who's shown a lot of speed. Yes. Um, and I think that that any of those guys are suitable, like two to four receivers, I would say, but none of those guys are like the alpha receiver that you probably need if you're a serious competitor. Um, I think that they could part with one of Landry or uh, Beckham, probably not both. And they still probably need to invest in another free agent, somebody who's, who's maybe a little higher profile or um, take a receiver in the first round next year, especially since they addressed the defense with a lot of their picks last year. I, I think that they could probably spare a, a first or second rounder on a, a talented young receiver. So other than needing a quarterback and two receivers, everything's going great. I mean, other than everybody being injured. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they could be worse. I'm, you know, I, I've been a Browns fan since they came back in 1999 as a kid back then, but this is, the feeling I have right now is better than almost 98% of the, the other games I've gone into. So I, I've seen much worse. I, I can I can live with where they are right now kind of in, in purgatory. <laughs> I like to joke because I would always tell Browns fans, like, warning, the next step from 10 to 6, 10 and 6 up to the next is a Lulu. It is super difficult. And most fans kind of know this. You guys don't know that because it never happens every 25 years. <laughs> You're about to you're discovering. Oh, now that we got here to get to the next level. Oh my God, that next step's a doozy. Yeah, yeah. It's hard to be a perennial Super Bowl contender, mm-hmm. and especially Absolutely. if you don't have one of the top five quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. Thank you, Anthony, so much for joining us again. Anthony Reinhardt from the Orange and Brown Report was here to talk uh, Browns Broncos. Let's finish up by making picks. Who would you pick in this game? It's Browns. It's now Browns minus one. The line has moved. Started out at minus six. Then when we knew Baker was injured, it was at like minus three and a half. Then when we knew Baker was not actually playing, it went to like minus two. And now it's at minus one. Oh, I think I'm going to, I'm going to trust the market and trust Case Keenum. And I think the Browns pull off a a sloppy, narrow victory tonight over the Broncos. Hmm. I think I also would take the Browns. I think it's pretty close, like the market shows. I think I would take the Browns. It's tough because it's always hard to mentally adjust or or numerically adjust for injuries to non-quarterbacks. Just how much does it mean to have your backup right tackle in the game? Like, you know, we know that, you know, offensive line is a system where what matters is not who your strongest player is, but who your weakest player is. But I don't know how weak that backup right tackle is. Denver has surprisingly not brought a ton of pressure this year. Denver is actually only 25th in pressure rate. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chubb's been hurt. I don't know what his current status is, but, you know, yeah. Von Miller is still there. But, you know, they don't have the depth in their edge rushers. So it's hard to know just how much to, like, these injuries matter. So I think I would go Cleveland also. Well, if you like Cleveland, uh, I would suggest the over-under is way down at 405 and you're probably assuming both teams are going to get some points on the board. I don't think anyone's looking at a 19-16 final there, or maybe you are. But if you parlay the Browns minus one with the over, you can get that at plus 264. So that's, 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 what, not, that's a nice uh, return. 
Yeah, it's a nice return. It makes the game interesting. You'll be rooting for points at the end. So it's plus 264. If you do same game parlay, Browns minus one at over 40.5. That said, I don't love that personally. I took all I took in this game was the Broncos to score over 20.5. I feel like there's going to be a lot of three and outs by the Browns. It's going to get the ball to Bridgewater and that offense, and it's going to get downfield enough to at least get some field goals on the board, and that's going to get us over that. That that over-under is down to 19.5, and people like that kind of play. So I'll be sitting up just waiting for the Broncos to score. If the Browns pull it out 24-20, you guys can get a win with the parlay I just suggested. <laughs> All right, Anthony, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it. We'll have you on again next time the Browns have a big game. Hopefully by then they'll uh, have more of a winning record and we'll be talking about playoff odds a little more positively. I hope so. Thanks for having me on, guys. All right. Thanks a lot. Uh, I realize now that I may have forgotten to tell Philip, the producer, that Anthony was only joining us for part of the show. But no, there we go. We're going to the two boxes. All right. We're good. Yes. Yeah, All I right, thought, I thought it was done. I was like, see, I'm out here too. Oh, yeah, no, it's only half the show. No, 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 no. We still have five more games we want to talk about a little bit. So let's move on to the Sunday games and talk about Cincinnati at Baltimore. Cincinnati makes the playoffs in 72% of Sims with a win, 47% with a loss. Baltimore, which, you know, obviously only, you know, they're five and one. Baltimore, 96% playoffs with a win. 85% for a loss. This is the most important game of the week for Super Bowl odds okay, because okay. Baltimore's chances of making the Super Bowl would be diminished significantly if suddenly they were f- five and two instead of five and one and no longer necessarily had uh, the lead in their own division. Right, right. That's it. They don't get a straight shot in the division otherwise. What was the, if the Bengals lose, what do their odds go down to? 47%. They still have pretty strong odds based on what they've accomplished so far. We got to talk to Rob a lot yesterday about the Bengals, and it was informative because I kind of lost track of the fact that their defense is playing as well as it is, sixth in DVOA and and whatnot. Yeah, it's fifth compared to Baltimore being 14th. Like You don't think of Cincinnati having a better defense than Baltimore, but so far Cincinnati has a better defense than Baltimore. Right, and and I wrote about it in Walkthrough coming tomorrow. Like there's, I don't know if the – Opponent adjustments are done baking yet. If like like we really understand what it means to have played the Lions at this point in their career, or have played the Bears when they were still, uh, you know, Dalton gets knocked knocked out halfway through the game. But I'm looking at the Bengals, and it's like they strike me as a team good enough to stay in that playoff hunt, but not good enough to win win this game based on how they're currently assembled, based on what they do on offense, which is so boom boom or bust. Uh, and based on some of the advantages they've had, they have a 105-yard pe- net penalty advantage this year. So they've had 105 more penalty yards go their way than against the other guys. That's the third highest in the league. And that carried them against the Vikings. I think people might have forgotten that was like a 14-penalty game for the Vikings. And it really helped them against the Lions. That Lions game, when I went back and looked at it, was kind of a mess for the first two-and-a-half quarters. And the fact that the Lions were committing false starts over and over again kept them in the game. Also, there's some uh, hidden special teams advantage for the uh, for the uh, Bengals. Teams have missed field goals against them, a couple of missed extra points against them. It all boils down to a team that I think might be a little overvalued at four and two. Uh, it's interesting because historically Lamar Jackson has wrecked them. Yes. And you wonder, like, are the improvements on defense enough to stop him from running all over them with the option runs? Like – you know, I don't know if adding Larry Ogunjobi stops that. Uh, you know, you really want linebackers, and it's 
basically the same linebackers that have been there in the past. Yeah. You know, and some of them are pro- like that kid, Logan Wilson, I think is his name is, you know, he's a promising youngster, but he was last year too. So um, yeah. final scores of the last three meetings combined final score, 114 to 19. Yeah. Wait. That's um, <laughs> pretty intense. Right. And it's like, and I looked over the Bengals defensive stats and it's like, Everything looks so good. Like the run defense looks good on DVOA, pass defense, directions against receivers, short, long, et cetera. It all looks so, so good. I have to say, did they fix all of their problems by bringing in a, a Wouzier and a couple other guys? Or is it just that, yeah, they faced a couple teams that like it's hard to adjust for just yet. So, yeah, I don't see how – I see that gap closing that we just described, 114 to 19. That gap is closed. But yeah, I, I think so. Yeah, I don't think I, that it's gone the other way now. And it's time for the uh, you know the Bengals to step up in this game. I mean, I think a lot of the storyline of the last week has been, "Wow, weren't we all sleeping on the Ravens?" And yes. I'm I'm kind of along with that. I'm like, you know, we've been saying that the Ravens were going to be really good all along. In the book, the Ravens were our number one AFC team. That changed yes. by the time we got to the last preseason projections in September. We had them second behind Kansas City, but we still. Some of it is just you forget how good Baltimore was in 2019. Like Baltimore in the second half of 2019 was so incredibly good on both sides of the ball. And most of those players are still there, although we talked about earlier. I mean, they're now going to be without left tackle Ronnie Stanley for the rest of the year. So I think that means Villanueva plays left tackle and like some rookie is at right tackle or something. Yeah, they've got injuries in the interior line, too. So, I mean, they've got faults I don't think they necessarily had in 2019, but it's a strong team. And like you said, we had a strong projection for them. What happens is they're not a team to talk about this year. You know, like the Bills become the team to talk about or whatever. And then uh, we slept on them because we didn't want to go back on ESPN and say, hey, Lamar Jackson, remember him? He's still good. It's not it's not doesn't make great television. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, Baltimore minus six is what I've got as the line. Okay. What do you like? Well, it's interesting. The FO picks take Baltimore. Yeah. But I think at minus six or, you know, I think I might take Cincinnati to keep it close. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm right around a touchdown on this, which means I'm not going to touch it for real. But I feel like, like we said, we talked about the gap from 114 to 19. And it's like, yeah, if that gap closes a little bit, I don't think it closes to a touchdown. So – if you said you got to make a pick in this, if you're doing the whole uh, week parlay, I would go with the Ravens minus six and a half. All right. Next game we want to hit, another 1 p.m. game. Kansas City at Tennessee. Kansas City is in the playoffs 80% of the time with a win, 57% with a loss. Tennessee, 85% with a win, 66% with a loss. And Tennessee is still really low in DVOA, 23rd. But a lot of that ties into their big week one loss to Arizona. Mm-hmm. And they did have their best game of the season against Buffalo. Right. And it was weirdly good. So it sounds like for the Chiefs, this is the win here is the, hey, we're back to being the Chiefs. Because they go all the way I mean, they to- go to four and three. And, and, you know, depending on what happens with the Raiders and Chargers, they could be tied for their division at that point. Right. Right. Yeah. I tried to make sense of the Monday night game and I know I looked at the DVOA and the DVOA was very, very strong for the Titans, but I was trying to ask myself, what did they really do good besides Derek? Go, 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 Derek, go. 
Um, and they didn't do a lot phenomenally beyond that. They didn't, I don't think they played very well defensively. They got some stops at the goal line that were kind of like, oh, the, the end around touchdown got called back for holding. You know, oh, the kick return touchdown got called back for uh, a holding. Obviously, they got the big fourth and one stop at the end. At the end, which was like, you know, the spot looked like a little weird in the first place. And then they got that. So, uh, you know, I didn't see a great defense. They've got injuries on defense. A couple of their corners are now hurt. A couple of the young guys. Uh, yes, uh, Farley is hurt. Fulton and, missed last game. Fulton was yeah. Fulton's still hurt, so they're both out. So they're, they're they've lost guys there off of already weak defense. And yeah, the, the passing offense is obviously better now that Jones and Brown are back. But I don't see anything that's really earth shatteringly great about that pass offense, except for the fact that they get sixty yards at a chunk from their running game. I mean, I think we said before the season, look out, like. Yeah, Julio Jones is there, but there may be some regression here because Arthur Smith was such the brains behind the passing game, right. and I think there has been. Yeah, yeah, and um, I was different. I thought I was like, "Oh, come on!" And like the yeah. Titans have like led the league in playing with play action uh, efficiency with play action for the last couple of years. I checked ESPN's numbers, mm-hmm. and the Titans are only twelfth in QBR with play action this year. Right, and I don't know how often they're using it. Uh, which is another thing. It's like uh, the efficiency isn't where it was and they're just not deploying it as often as they could or should, or at least that's what I saw earlier in the game. I think I, I think I saw a bit of it on Monday night. I mean, they definitely, by the end of the game, they were deploying it. Yes. And I mean, I look again, I don't, I'm not a believer that Derek Henry makes play action work. I think, you know, that as good as Henry is, the run was established when you were in high school. Right. Like, unless a team is never running like Philadelphia has been, yeah. like you're always going to attack the run first as soon as you see that move to a handoff. It doesn't matter whether it's Derrick Henry or Alex Collins. Like, you're, when you see the move for the handoff, you're going to attack the run. It's just instinctual for linebackers. Like, it, yeah. it's been taught since you were in peewee football. And, I, and I'll say this. I think it was either uh... – uh, Baldy or it was Orlovsky and Cosell told us this years ago. Greg Cosell told us this years ago. It's also how the offensive line sells your play action. And it's also how the quarterback sells play action. We will see younger quarterbacks, like, like their body language is, is such what that's not really going to be a handoff, et cetera. And you know that that's stress there. You know, Tannehill knows how to do that, that he recognizes the importance of that, that he's a veteran, that the offensive line is going to fire off like it's a running play. You factor that in with, even the tiniest minutia of, oh, Derrick Henry does actually have them thinking more run than usual. It should set it up a tiny bit better than it would be for like a less dominant running team. I think one of the reasons I feel better about the Chiefs than conventional wisdom mm-hmm. is I'm not a great believer in sloppiness. Okay. I feel like a lot of sloppiness is random random variation that tends to regress you know fumbles balls off of hands into the hands of defenders like but you know bad fumble recover like not just fumbles but not recovering the fumbles like penalties like all of these are things that tend to regress and i feel like when you look at the things that tend to be stable like yards (laughs) like kansas city is still i mean they're number two offensively in dvoa Mm -hmm. um and that is, and that's despite the fact that DVOA does penalize for those interceptions and fumbles. And I feel like, like it's not. I feel like they're going to get their act together. Yeah, and and some of what we call sloppiness might be the residue of being explosive baked into every really explosive, high-powered offense. Is 
they're going to commit some holding penalties because they're throwing the ball downfield more often. They'll get more ineligible man downfield penalties maybe because they have this intricate screen game that they're running. They're taking chances over the middle of the field, and therefore they're getting a few more interceptions when the when there's a batted ball. So a lot of that might be, yes, just the residue of the design of offense. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm sanguine about that. Uh, that Washington game, again, the sloppiness was a lot of the surface uh, and some other things like that where guys were slipping and falling, and that was resulting in interceptions along the way. I mean, I'm comfortable with the Chiefs in this game. The question is, that combination of an offense that, even if it regresses a little, does make that level of mistakes. And that defense, which has just slipped off the absolute carpet of the league, right. gets you to the playoffs. Where does it get you beyond the playoffs? Where does it get you against the Bills? Where does it get you against the Ravens? No, the defense has to get better. Right. And the offense has to get better, right? For Kansas City to win, they need their offense to be blowing the doors off the rest of the league. Like right. being second best is not good enough for them because the rest of their team is not good enough to be second best on offense. Like they right. need to be best on offense. That's it. That's it. I think part of that will be they need some of that regression, whatever it causes, uh, on things like penalties, turnovers, sacks, and some other things. A couple of other interesting stats that I found when looking through this game. Kansas City is number two on offense overall. They're also number two on offense in the first quarter. Okay. Cool. The Titans are number 31 on offense in the first quarter Ooh. before they get much better after that. And yeah. I wonder, like, is that – the effect of Derrick Henry not getting many yards on his first few carries until he starts breaking down the defense, or is that, are they just not scripting their plays? well, Like this, the whole <laughs> first 15 plays thing. Like you said, you know, you talk about Arthur Smith, they're going to lose him. And I was very skeptical. It's like, come on, Arthur Smith. I could, I could design an offense that says, Oh, hand off to Derrick Henry and play action. I think they lost a lot. They did. I, mm-hmm. I don't think they script very well. Um, I don't see a lot of logic in the sequence early on. A lot of times it is first down. Hey, first down, give it to Derek. First down, give it to Derek. It's like, eh, okay. Um, I do remember in the Jets game, they were able to move the ball, but not in the first quarter, but not really punch it in. And I couldn't really make sense of what they were trying to do without all those receivers. Like, we don't have all of our receivers. Okay. Screen game, you know, uh, read option game. None of that came into play. So I hadn't noticed that about them in the first quarter, but you don't want to fall behind against the chiefs and you don't want to fall behind regularly when your whole thing is our running back is going to do the job for us. I also think the Titans will pressure Mahomes. The Titans, this has surprised me. Mm-hmm. They're actually sixth in pressure rate by That's ESPN's charting. Yeah. You don't think, I mean, um, I mentioned this during the game against the bills. I felt their defensive line was playing really well and getting pass rush in the middle, like not just, yeah. Landry and uh, Bud Dupree, but the guys in the middle, Daquan Jones, I think, is still there, and um, Jeffrey Simmons, they were getting pass rush up the middle. And so, yeah, they're really strong in pressure rate, and Mahomes gets pressure. Like, he plays in a style that adds pressure. He's trying to make imaginative things happen. Yeah. So they're going to get pressure on Mahomes, I think, in this game. I think so. I just don't think it's enough. And they give up a lot on the back end if they don't get to the quarterback. I do have a crazy, a wacky prop if you're interested. Hit me with the wacky prop and then we'll make the overall picks. Okay. Mahomes and Derrick Henry combined over 450 passing plus rushing yards. So I'm guessing that's Mahomes' rushing yards get in there too. 
And if Henry throws a one-yard touchdown pass, you get that passing yard. So it's 450. That's interesting. So if you think like 320 for Mahomes and like 20 rushing yards and then like 110 rushing yards for Henry, that so, gets you 450. That does get you 450 if you get the 20 in rushing yards. There's a lot of ways to win. And I played it because I don't like the over way up at 58. Over, I believe, is way up at 58. And, I, you know, I'm worried about one of those things where the Chiefs march all the way down and then back up a little bit. I'm worried about anything that involves a kicker for the Tennessee Titans. So I wanted something where I could bet on mayhem. So I did that. Four, 450 combined passing and rushing, Mahomes and Henry, even plus 100 bet if you're interested for your consideration. So uh, the line is five and a half. Mm-hmm. Tennessee, Kansas City is the road team. Kansas City minus five and a half. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm going with the numbers. They just don't like Tennessee this year. We didn't really like Tennessee in our preseason projections. We didn't like the whole AFC South. I think Kansas City is is going to get attacked together over the, over time. I would go with Kansas City in this game. Yep, just fell to minus five, and I'm going to stick with Kansas City. I was more optimistic about the Titans coming into the season. We were on this podcast, and I was like, ah, come on, look at this, Julio, et cetera. Now nah, I've seen the light. I've seen the light on him. Even after Monday night, I still see the same light. Because even with all the pressure they're bringing, the defense is not good, and they've got so many injuries in the secondary. Yes, yeah, and that's a problem moving forward. These weren't phenomenal players, but they were young starters in the secondary, and it's going to be a big loss to replace all right, Chicago at Tampa Bay, 4 p.m. Chicago makes the playoffs 30% of the time if they win, 12% if they lose. Uh, Tampa Bay it will not shock you. There's not a big difference here. 99% if they win, 94% if they lose. I will point out that Chicago's DVOA is heavily dragged down by their week three stomping by Cleveland, mm. which is the second worst game of the year that any team has had. Most of their games are pretty close to zero. Uh, but yeah. that game was terrible. Right. They they can run the ball pretty well between the tackles. Well, this will be interesting because Tampa's run defense has been so good. I mean, my loser league play this year has been play whichever running back is against Tampa this week. Yeah. And that, and that might – I mean, and again, I, I don't know what Williams' status is right now coming off COVID. The other kid, Herbert, looked great last week against the Packers. I think that they're really just designed. I mean, you see a lot of six offensive linemen stuff where the Bears are trying to they're trying to run the ball to protect fields. Their defense is strong. And Derek wrote about that a couple of weeks ago at Football Outsiders. Talked about it on this uh, podcast a couple of weeks ago. I don't think it's that strong. Like they were able to slow the Packers down, not necessarily. The Packers could have had their way at any time in that game. So I'm not I'm not loving a path to victory here for the Bears. They they do bring a lot of pressure. They're fifth in pressure rate, but Tampa is number one in preventing pressure. Mm-hmm. And I feel like they have a clear weakness on defense, and that is cornerback Kindle Vildor. Okay. Jalen, jo- Jalen Johnson has had kind of a breakout second year as their number one corner. Okay. And Derek wrote about Duke Shelley. Duke yeah. Shelley's very good. He's got very good. They both have really good numbers over at Sports Info Solutions charting. Okay. Vildor does not. Right. And Chicago is 31st against wide receiver ones. Oops. And I think that's because they play by sides and you get your guy in, against a zone or you get your guy against Vildor. And Tampa can get their receivers where they want. I mean, <laughs> it's not necessarily that it's going to be wide receiver one. It's not necessarily going to be Evans. But, I mean, with Evans, Godwin, and, and Brown – 
It's just if you have a weakness on the defense, they will find one of those three guys is going to find it. Right. And I was trying to go back to last year's Bears win over the Buccaneers, uh, 2019 close game, another Nick Foles magic game. And it came down to it was a Thursday night game, and and, and it looked like Brady was a little flat, and the whole offense was a little flat. And they were bad in the red zone, if I remember correctly. They were bad in the red zone. Yeah, they got penalized out of the red zone and lost points uh, at some point along the way. And it's just like, well, you know what? The the flat Thursday night Brady and Buccaneers game was last week against the Eagles. They were not really phenomenal for much of that game. They won very handily because they're a much better team. That's gone now. They're coming off a mini buy, so it's not like they're going to get dragged down because it's a short week situation. So that was the, that was one of the margins of difference last year. Uh, Joey Suck says, back during the whole Denver Tebow era, I remember there being some research that a running quarterback also improves the running efficiency of running backs. Does that still appear to be true? Because uh, this connects to Justin Fields and, that, and the, how well the Bears running game is going. And I will say that as far as I know, this is true. In fact, this is research I did before Tebow. Mm-hmm. I did this research uh, connected to Michael Vick back in the day. Yeah. And that Warwick Dunn, when Warwick Dunn went to Atlanta, he suddenly became a much more efficient runner because suddenly he was going to a team with a mobile quarterback. So uh, as far as I know, it is still true that the mobile quarterback does open things up for the running backs by creating, you know, the fear of the bootleg and zone read options and things like that. It's, it's worth pointing out that the Bears are doing almost none of that. They do yeah. <laughs> all the normal things you do to say, hey, rookie quarterback who can run, we're not doing that. We're not doing And that. Tampa will blitz the hell out of Justin Fields. They lead the NFL in blitz rate. Uh, they're 10th in pressure rate, and Chicago is dead last in preventing pressure. As you can imagine, Fields runs into pressure all the time. I'm trying to talk myself into being a backdoor lo- cover lover in this game. It's because it's up at plus 12. I'm trying to find it, and I can't quite get there. You know, I, I usually love, oh, you got a good defense. You got a double-digit spread. Uh, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to go with the backdoor cover, and I I'm, I'm can't quite find my way there. The spreads this week, they are big. Yes. Here, I will talk you into the backdoor cover. Okay. Health of the Tampa Bay secondary. All right, so we're going over the top to Allen Robinson once or twice, so we get some points that way, and the the Bears defense takes advantage of of a senior moment or two from Brady and gets three points or seven points out of that, and we get in at around twenty eight to seventeen. Twenty eight to seventeen, and I've got twelve points. <laughs> I think we're there. I think I'm going for it. Uh, I mean, it's really tough. I, I will say the uh, the FO picks uh, formula came out very, very close to the actual line. It came out very slightly on Chicago. Okay. Um, I think I'm going to go Chicago because of the possibility of the backdoor cover on such a big line. Yep. Uh, and I trust Chicago to backdoor cover more than I do the other two big lines of the week, which are Detroit and Houston. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Um, uh, although I think I would go with Houston too at 18 and a half was the last one I saw. I took them first half plus 10 and a half for the yeah. first because they have been, Houston even has a chance to come back and backdoor cover it before, right? Because it's like if you watch, you watch them against the, the Patriots, they came out 
and look pretty strong. The, the, the Texans look pretty strong in the first half. They look okay in some of the first half for first quarter. So, but that's it. I'm not, I'm not waiting on the rest of that game for the, the Cardinals to just wake up and, and pull away. Indianapolis at San Francisco. That's the night game. Indianapolis, I am going to shock you now with your Carson Wentz dislike. Mm-hmm. They're up to 15th overall in DVOA, including 17th passing. Yeah, they're getting they are reaching average. They are reaching average. And and he is throwing along the sidelines very well. He is standing mostly stationary in the pocket, getting a lot from the screen game, flat game, I will say that. But finding Le- pit- leads yeah. the league in QBR with play action. Ah, there we go. Okay. Keeping it simple. There are a lot of RPO probably mixed into that play action. That's mixed in, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, I, I wouldn't uh I wouldn't count on it to last for 16 games or whatever, 17 games, but it's working right now for them. And I have no idea even who's starting at quarterback for the Niners. Uh, I believe it is Garoppolo. Lance has yeah. not practiced this week and Garoppolo has. So it is Garoppolo at quarterback for the Niners. Um, the huge defensive split, the Colts are number one against the run, but 29th against the pass. It's an interesting split to have against a team in San Francisco that loves to run the ball. Yes. Yeah, it is weird. And I wonder how, how it dictates in the short passing game that I think they're going to run there. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I have to see. Hold on. Where yeah. Indianapolis counts in short, just... short passing versus deep passing. They are mm-hmm. 26th against deep passes and 30th against short passes. So they're bad against both. Hmm. So, I mean, then the 49ers game plan is going to be to work underneath, work underneath, work underneath there. And it's stunningly high against the run. Now, of course, I remember the Dolphins game. They don't run the ball to, to save their lives. Um, but, like, I, I'm actually, like, this is the first time hearing it. I'm shocked that they are that good against the run. I, yeah, me too, because I keep thinking about it, Tampa Bay as the awesome run defense. But yeah. well, they, they faced the Texans, so this is a team that wasn't going anywhere. They faced the Ravens, and the Ravens could not run the ball. That's a good point. And what they hold, they oh, they faced Derrick Henry. What they hold his butt to? 113 yards. So yeah, <laughs> they they held Derrick Henry uh, under under 120 yards. So that's strong. It, it is a strength against this. I am leaning towards the Colts in this game, um, in part because I know that they have been. Uh, Wentz has been playing better than I give him credit for, and I'm going to grudgingly give him credit. Their running game is unbelievably strong. Taylor is a very good ball player. Yes. The line is San Francisco by four. Well, I'll take the Colts then. I'll just take them. Hmm. I think I think I would take the 49ers. Okay. I'm just so down on the AFC South in general. Um, <laughs> yeah. What is the I, – I, I spaced. What is the Colts' playoff probability with a win? Oh, the Colts, I didn't give that. The Colts are 54% with a win, 31% with a loss. San Francisco is 46% with a win, 26% with a loss. Mm. Yeah, that's the AFC South factor kicking in there. Yeah. Um, A loss should bury you. (laughs) I think you may have talked me into Indy because of the four. four if If it was three, I might go San Francisco, but at four, I'm feeling like Indy. Yeah, and you get now if it's a four and a half right now, you get it. You don't get the push at twenty one seventeen, whatever. Yeah. Uh, the over under at forty four. I can't. I can't get a sense of that because that that would be a fun parlay type of game. I am not keeping myself awake on Sunday night for another 
parlay. I learned my lesson against the Seahawks-Steelers game. That nearly broke me. Um, the quarterback props are nuts in this. Your over-under for Garoppolo is 225.5, and for Wentz it's 227.5. I'd be more likely to go over on Wentz than I would with Garoppolo, frankly. Yeah, but if you if believe that the Colts' run defense is so good right. that they want to just short pass all day, you would right. kind of go over on Garoppolo. And with the Colts' uh, pass defense being that poor. Yes. And that poor on short passes. Well, maybe maybe go to Garoppolo and just figure screens and Debo stuff and, and get, get over 227. And Kittle, I think, is healthy? I don't think he's healthy. Is he? What's the deal with Kittle right now? I'm almost certain he is out for a while. I will check on that while uh, you entertain our viewers. We are checking on, on George Kittle's health right now. I assumed when I was writing up my reviews, George Kittle, news. He's on the injured reserve. As he I is know. on injured reserve. He is okay. on injured reserve. So that's bad memory by me. Yeah. Calf. Calf. He is. Joey sucks. Verified. All right. I think we're both kind of leaning on Indy. Indy plus the points. Indy plus, Indy plus the four points. and a half. Yes. Let's do it. Uh, Finally, Monday Night Football, New Orleans at Seattle. New Orleans makes the playoffs 80% of the time if they win, 51% if they lose. Seattle, 40% with a win, 14% with a loss. <laughs> this is the second most important game of the week for playoff odds with backup Geno Smith against DVOA's number three defense. Yeah, that's going to be rough. Sinking with Geno. The sinking, the Gino, uh, SS Gino goes sinking down here. I, when I was doing research this week and I was looking at passes over the middle of the, middle of the field, I was stunned by the statistics of the uh, New Orleans Saints. They have no passing game whatsoever across the middle of the field. They have thrown three, Winston has thrown three interceptions over the middle on, I believe, like 10 or 11 or 12 attempts down the middle. And I think that bodes well. Poorly for the Saints moving forward. I think that's going to be a, a weakness that clobbers them against their better opponents. But I, they only need to put up about 16 points in this game, and I think they're capable of that. Yeah, Geno Smith is bad. The, the Seattle defense is not as bad as people think. The Seattle defense is 22nd right now. Right. But I feel like Geno is as bad as people think. Yeah. So I'm not a big – I'm not a big fan. The New Orleans' biggest defensive weakness is other wide receivers, which is a very good weakness to have against a backup quarterback on an offense that basically only plays two wide receivers. Yes, very bad one to have when the uh, Buccaneers are in your division, but a good one to have against this team. And I don't know how awake or where your will to live was late in that Seahawks-Steelers uh, game, but it was a surrender offense. That game was tied. And the Seahawks got the ball with the game tied a couple times, fourth quarter, overtime. And it was a surrender offense. It was just flare out a wide receiver screen that the wide receiver sometimes had to take a step back to catch. Or it was a, a handoff into a defense that realized, okay, we allowed a couple gash plays against the run. We're, we're going to sell out against the run here. So I don't know. Like I, I kind of assumed there'd be a custom game plan for Geno Smith after he's been on the bench for three years. And the custom game plan was, Let's hope we win with defense. So I, that does not bode well for week two and what you have for Geno week two, and that would have been your beat the Steelers week one game plan. Yeah, line is uh, New Orleans by five, and I would take New Orleans. I would take New Orleans. It's just – It's in my... Seattle. 
I mean, you know, there's been no home field advantage at all this year, but you may Seattle. believe Seattle is different, right? Seattle is a little different yeah. as far as home field advantage. I'm still taking New Orleans. Right. Well, and with the whole thing with home field advantage, I'm still thinking of Seattle as a home field advantage. I'm still thinking of Foxborough as a home field advantage. Ahem. I'm yeah, don't, of, don't, don't do that. <laughs> I, <laughs> I'm thinking of uh, Washington as sort of a home field factor because it's a gravel pit. And I think that the games, are, I'm going to be looking at unders and things like that because I think teams are going to have a hard time, you know, moving around on it. Mm-hmm. And uh, 42.5 is the over under in this. And I'm curious if I took Saints money line and over. Oh, no, it called a four-pick parlay. I'm not doing a four-pick parlay. Settle down there, son. Uh, I can't get it to pull up right now, but I'm leaning towards something like that in the game so I can get the money line so I don't have to worry about the points if it's like a three-point game at the end because everybody just kind of played muddy. Yeah. And, but then that I'm worried about the over in that. Like, are we getting to – are we talking about a 19-17 to 17 game we go under? So that's my concern. Yeah, I think I like the Saints. Saints minus five. All right. All right. Oh, Saints – well, Saints money line and the over for whatever that is. I can't get it to calculate for me. All right. Everybody can calculate it on their own from their sports book of choosing wherever, yeah. whatever is legal in your state. Yes. Uh, all right. That does it for our Thursday look ahead show for week seven, everybody. Thank you so much. Again, thanks to Anthony Reinhardt for joining us earlier. Thanks to Mike Tanier, as always, on Thursdays. Thanks to all of you for watching and listening. Reminder to please subscribe to the show on your outlet of choice so that you are here with us every day at 1 p.m. Eastern to talk about football every weekday. Uh, Scott Spratt will be here tomorrow to talk about your DFS slate for the weekend. He will be here at 1 p.m. I will be here on Monday with Ian O'Connor to review week seven's games and do a little bit more previewing of Monday night. Until then, I hope everybody enjoys tonight's game, enjoys the weekend's game. Have a great football weekend. And I will talk to you next Monday. So long.